Welcome to Bullhorn Bible Study, where we are taking a look at some of the most used and misused Bible verses around today. This week, we're going to dig into the saying, eye for an eye. And let me tell you, it is going to be a fun one. It's going to take you places you would not expect. And there's just so much good stuff that I don't know how I'm going to squeeze it all into 20 minutes, but somehow I'm going to make it happen. So let's dig in. The term eye for an eye appears in the Bible four times. The first three times are in the Old Testament, in the books of Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Leviticus. And then the last time it appears is in the New Testament in the book of Matthew. Now, before we can even start to look at these verses, we need to take a little detour into the land of biblical structure. Now, I promise we're not going to put down roots and stay here, but I think if we visit for a little while, this it'll help us completely reframe how we view this saying and where it is in the Bible. So, the Bible. It is broken into two main parts. You have the Old Testament, which is what happens leading up to Jesus, and then you have the New Testament, which is Jesus and what happens afterwards. Now, oftentimes people treat the Old Testament and the New Testament as two completely different books, or they think that Jesus and the New Testament negates the Old Testament. Neither of those two things are true. The Bible, the entire Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, is one big love story where God pursues his people who have wandered far from home. That was the beginning of the story. The story ends with redemption and a chance for every single human being to come back to their heart's home, to live eternally in the wholeness that comes from the perfect harmony of being reconnected to God, our source of life. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are two halves of one continuing story that is moving us towards a perfect ending and is actually broken into three parts. The, there's the Old Testament, which is before Jesus, and then within the New Testament are the Gospels, which is when Jesus walked this earth, and then there are the Epistles, which are what happens after Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven. It's basically the world's first trilogy. And we kind of need to kind of frame it in that kind of understanding to help us really understand what eye for an eye means and why it's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's part of one story. You need to kind of think of it like it's the original Star Wars trilogy. And yes, I have been waiting my whole life to use this analogy. If you have not seen all three of the original Star Wars movies, you don't know what the heck is going on or why it matters. When the, the main characters find themselves dancing with some furry Ewoks in the Endor forest, was that too nerdy? <clears throat> I mean, when you, when you find those characters dancing with some furry creatures on some planet, you don't know why it matters and what they're celebrating. And, and you can't understand how they are experiencing, they're experiencing their new freedom. And on the other hand, if you just watch the first movie, you're just going to think that Luke Skywalker is just some whiny brat and that he and Leia 
might make a cute couple someday, which, spoiler alert, they're brother and sister, but you don't find that out until the third movie. Along the way, the story is kind of rough. Luke loses his hand, Hans gets frozen in carbonite, and Leia has to wear a gold bikini that has to chafe in places you just do not want to be chafing in. It's a narrative that carries us along, building us towards the end. That's the Bible, and that's the context in which we need to approach the verses about eye for an eye. And the way we're going to do it is we are going to take first, take a look first at the Old Testament and then the New Testament to see if we can't get at what God is trying to say to us today. The three Old Testament references are, are similar in context, the Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus verses. So we're only going to look at the one in Exodus. Now, at this point in time, remember, we started in the chaos of sin, and we are moving away from the beginning of that towards redemption. In the book of Exodus, God reveals his name. He, he describes who he is. He talks about his plan for redemption, his law, and how he wants to be worshipped. He is laying down some rules, but he's not doing that to punish us or stifle us. God gave, gave us the rules to help us move along in the story towards the hope of redemption. Going back to the idea of being without our senses, God gave us these rules, otherwise known as the law, to, as, as handholds to help guide us. If we, if we didn't know what was wrong, we would have no way of moving towards what was right. It is into this chaos that the phrase eye for an eye is given. It was a law to guide people from the chaos of sin towards their heart's home. Let's take a look. The entire chapter of Exodus 21 is kind of a laundry list of rules that God is laying out for his people through Moses, who is the author of this book. Before this, it was basically anarchy. People could do whatever they wanted, and God is starting to move his people out of the chaos and towards redemption by offering them some handholds. There's some crazy stuff in here, like things around what to do if you, you accidentally hit a pregnant woman or what to do with slaves, but it was revolutionary for its time. It was a movement out of chaos. Before this, women and slaves wouldn't even have been considered. They were such non-entities. But in this, it's giving women and slaves rights where before they had none. I mean, it's still a long way from the perfection we long for because that's what we were created for, but movement is happening. And so by the time we get to verse 23, God has been laying out these laws to give people handholds to see what's wrong and to guide them towards what's right. And part of, it, part of this was de-escalating the violence that was happening. Before this, there was no rhyme or reason to the punishment. They might kill someone for looking at someone else funny. And what God is saying for eye for an eye is the punishment must fit the crime. It cannot be more. If someone looks at you funny, you can only look at them funny in return. That's the Old Testament use of eye for an eye. But we've still got a long way to go. But the narrative continues and it's moving along. 
Now we are going to move into the New Testament where Jesus is using the phrase eye for eye when he is teaching his disciples in the book of Matthew. Our phrase is found in Matthew 5:38 and is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is pretty famous. But it just to give you a little context for it, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount fairly early in his public ministry. The Sermon on the Mount is full of things like the Beatitudes, the blessed are the poor in spirit. That's all happening within this sermon. And it's kind of like Jesus is it's his manifesto. He's laying out what he came to do. And it's not to abolish the law or the rules that God laid out through Moses in Exodus. Actually, a few verses before Jesus mentions eye for an eye, he actually says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's moving God's story of redemption for his wandering people along. It started with the sin and the chaos, and then it moved to the handholds of the law. And now Jesus is taking it a step further. Matthew 5:38 says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This scripture is challenging, and if it makes you a little uncomfortable, that's okay. It's supposed to, but it is not supposed to be damaging. It's supposed to challenge us, but not damage. Let's take a closer look. Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Is Jesus saying that we are supposed to accept abuse, even lean into it? No, that's not actually what he's talking about here. He's not talking about physical abuse. He's talking about insults. Take a look at the very specific words he uses here. He says the right cheek. Why is he being so specific? In the culture that Jesus was speaking to, the people he was speaking to, giving someone a backhanded slap like that on the right cheek was considered a deep insult. Kind of picture someone has a, a white glove and they use it and they just like slap you out like that. It's not meant to cause physical pain. It's, it's an insult. Before the law in Exodus, one might have retaliated with killing the person who backhanded them. But with an eye for an eye, that law, it limited the damage. Now Jesus is taking it a step further and saying, don't even retaliate. Just offer them your other cheek. It's a little challenging, but doable. But Jesus isn't done. He goes on to say this, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, what now? Honestly, I had to sit with this one for a little bit. Is Jesus saying that if I am pulling into a parking spot and I accidentally sideswipe the Ferrari next to me and chip the paint and then the owner sues me that I have to then buy the owner a whole new car? I, I don't think that's what he's saying because if I had to do that, if then I wouldn't be able to pay my bills and that would be very damaging for my family. And Jesus' is, is intent is to challenge us, not damage us. So there could be more to this one than meets the eye. I think Jesus is speaking figuratively to get people's attention to make his point. 
I think what he's saying is that when we are wronged, we're not to try to get even. Instead, we should do good to the one who has wronged us, even if it seems impossible. This is confirmed by his own words just a few verses later in the same passage. Matthew 5, 43-45 from the Message Version says this, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. I have a humbling example of what I think that Jesus is calling us to through this verse, the kind of life that he's inviting us to lead. And it comes from a dear friend of mine. When she was little, she was emotionally and sexually abused by her own father. And when she became an adult, she did the hard work and she did, she walked the journey into healing and forgiveness. She actually was able to forgive her father for what he had done and she prays for him. She prays that he would be healed, that he would be whole, that he would come to know Jesus himself. Now, she doesn't have a relationship with him because he's still emotionally abusive, but she doesn't carry the burden of bitterness. She's forgiven him and healed. I believe that this is an incredible picture that sums up what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. This is about movement and it begins internally. And rather than allowing yourself to become embroiled in the negativity, the violence, the chaos of sin that is not our heart's home, Jesus is telling us to pursue wholeness, to live out of our best selves, which is God-given. But it's challenging, isn't it? It's one thing to be able to walk away when someone insults you, but to be able to forgive someone and not be burdened by bitterness when they've hurt you deeply, that's a lot harder. I honestly don't know if I'm capable of it. My natural inclination is to retaliate. It's like when I'm on driving down the road and someone just, I get caught in someone else's road rage. My natural response is to flip them the bird right back and be all like, boop, 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 boop. Right? Because that, that's our natural inclination is that eye for an eye, I'm going to give back to you exactly what I'm going to get. And yet Jesus tells us that God expects more from us. He's pointing us towards wholeness, but he doesn't expect us to get there on our own. He knows we can't, which is why he gave us Jesus, who not only points the way home, but gives us his hand to lead us there. All we have to do is take it. Listen to this promise from the book of Romans. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Are we still living in the first part of the story? Where we demand an eye for an eye? Or... Are we willing to follow Jesus down the road towards the end of the story and the hope it contains? 
We are in God's story, in this space in between Jesus' time on earth and when he will return as described in the book of Revelation. And when he returns, he will give the final call for those still wandering to come home. When we reach the end of the story and the final call comes, those who took Jesus' hand and followed him home will be made perfect. But the story isn't over and we've still got some ground to cover. The question is, will you trust Jesus to show you the way to get there? My name is Jody Sweet and this has been Bullhorn Bible Study. We'll see you next time.